Today on the Andrew Kubrider Show, video surfaces where Bashir appears to be drunk. Daniel Cameron gets some positive news with a new poll being released. And a new survey shows that regardless of any kind of stat manipulation, Louisville citizens feel that their city is becoming significantly less safe. As always, if you want to listen to that last segment, you need to head on over to the podcast version. So for those of you that want to hear the segment about uh, Louisville being less safe and a new stat kind of showing just how bad it's getting, um, head on over to either Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Pandora, um, any any of those major podcasting platforms where you can catch the Andrew Cooper show in its entirety, and it makes it easier for you to take it with you on the go. As always, please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. You can also reach out to the show by emailing me at info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. If you're trying to reach out, trying to send me things, I know a lot of you do, but a lot of times you're sending them to my Facebook page. And while I do occasionally read those messages, you get a lot faster response and it doesn't get looked over quite as much if you're communicating by emailing the show at info at theandrewshow.com. And now, without further ado, let's get into it. So a video has surfaced where Bashir appears to be drunk uh, during some kind of uh, Democrat executive committee Zoom call meeting from around the 2021-2022 timeframe. And I say it's from around this time because he appears to be uh, one in the governor's mansion on the call. He is talking about masking and then the Democrats picking up seats in the House and Senate, which they didn't do. So that and then he says about picking up seats and then he'll talk about here. I'll play you the video here in a second. And then he also talks about um, he talks about masking and then he talks about them picking up seats. Then he talks about him being reelected in that order. So that tells me that this is before the 2022 elections uh, while masking is going on. Um, It could be from even before that could be in the 2020 elections that he's talking about this. Um, So it could either be around the 2021, 2022 timeframe or the 2020 timeframe. Regardless, um, this is him talking about this. We know they didn't pick up the seats by the way, but anyways. um, So let's take a listen to the video uh, that has been released. A little different and that's okay. There are things that we are seeing in this country and in this state that are not okay. And we're willing to fight for them. They're all things that we care about. They're all things that are good and right. And we're ready to step up for them. We will not be scared for one minute to talk about what we believe in. Let's make sure we are all talking in one voice to do it right. And yes, we may have to wear masks for a couple more weeks. But to protect one another, it's a small price to pay. So thank you. No, I, I really mean it. Thank you. Keep it up. You are incredible people. And remember, we always have more in common. We always have more in common than anybody wants to pull us apart. So uh, this is a group that's going to take us there. This is a group that is going to get uh, more seats in the house and the senate this is a group that's going to get me all right so there's a video he is quite clearly in that video his speech is slowed slurred uh for those of you watching the video format you see he is droopy in the eyes he appears to be sweaty 
as well, exaggerated movements with his head. Uh, it seems like a clear-cut case of a man drunk on a Zoom call. That's the way it sounds and looks. Now, I've heard a few defenses from the Democrats on this. Um, some of them first have claimed that this was a deep fake. It, it somehow uh, deals with the veracity of the call, that the call isn't real. This is just a big deep fake. Uh, but there were some other members of the DNC, Kentucky uh, Democrat Party leadership that seem to have confirmed that this is in and of itself a real video as they're defending Bashir because this these members of leadership have uh, said that the call is real in their defense. And what do I mean by that? Well, they claim uh, in some tweets and other things that the video has been slowed down to point seventy uh, uh, to a 75% playback speed. So if they're claiming that the video has been slowed down and altered in that way, then they're saying this isn't a deep fake. This is a real video. And there's a few reasons why I don't believe them that it's been slowed down and he's not really drunk. I'll go over that here in a second beyond that. But but let's let's take that at face value, though. Let's take that same video. So if that video was slowed down to point uh, to point seven five, I'm saying that because I'd had to do all this math to figure out what speed I had to put the video at. So if you play the video. Um, take that same video and you speed it back up to the original speed it would have been. Uh, so if it was really slowed down, we take that video and then we speed it up, then we would get to hear uh, what it would sound like at what they're claiming is the regular speed. So let's listen to that same video, but this time I've sped it up uh, to where if it was slowed down 75%, this is the speed then it would have been recorded at as the claim from the Democrats are making, it's fake, it's been slowed down, let's take a listen. Other people can be a little different, and that's okay. Yes, there will be disagreement. Yes, there will be um, times when, when we are very passionate about things. In this type of committee, we need to be exactly who we are, but we need to understand that other people can be a little different, and that's okay. There are things that we are seeing in this country and in the state that are not okay and we're willing to fight for them. They're all things that we care about. They're all things that are good and right. And we're ready to step up for them. And we will not be scared for one minute to talk about what we believe in. Well, let's make sure we are all talking in one voice to do it right. And yes, we may have to wear masks for a couple more weeks, but to protect one another, it's a small price to pay. So thank you. No, I, I really mean it. Thank you. Keep it up. You are incredible people. And remember, we always have more in common. We always have more in common than anybody wants to pull us apart. So uh, this is a group that's going to take us there. This is a group that is going to get uh, more seats in the House and the Senate. This is a group that's going to get me reelected. All right. So there is that video uh, sped up if it was slowed down. There it is, sped up. That's what it sounds like. Now, there's a few parts of that that uh, tell me that uh, that the original video that I showed you, the first one I showed you, I believe was the speed it was recorded at. And this has been sped up from the original speed. And there's a few parts that kind of tell me that. But first off, even if it was slowed down and sped up, he's still clearly drunk. I mean, the speech is still slurred. His eyes are still droopy. His movement's still exaggerated like a drunk person. Um, he He's sweating, uh, apparently profusely. Um, but there's a few audio at a few parts uh, you know, it, it overall kind of sounds like him, right? 
um, it, it sounds like him speaking. And so that can throw a few people off where they buy into it and they say, well, yeah, maybe it has been slowed down. So I want to play, let me play something for you. I'm going to play uh, a speech for you here. Um, a Donald Trump speech. This is it at normal speed. And then I'm going to play it sped up for you. Said Trump's, there's a statement that's been out there all over the place. It's a quote from a lot of people. It said, Trump's been right about everything. And if you think about it, I really have. It's my honor to do it, but we have to do something about it. We have to save our country. Thank you very much. So that's Donald Trump talking. He's talking from a prepared script. So his cadence is already going to be faster. Here's what he sounds like if he was, uh, uh, therefore, then sped up. So the original sounds that. This is what it sounds like sped up. From a lot of people, it said Trump's been right about everything. And if you think about it, I really have. It's my honor to do it, but we have to do something about it. We have to save our country. Thank you very much. So that's what it sounds like sped up. What you don't hear, you don't hear very much vocal fry. That's the main thing I wanted to point out. Speeding up, slowing things down. You're not going to hear of a, a, a vastly large change in voice like some people would expect it to be a little more, I don't know, chipmunky um, at that point. So you don't get that kind of that that vocal kind of fry, I guess, or, or uh, you know, change of, of pace of talk, of of noise there. Now, obviously, uh, Trump's cadence between the words is faster. It's just, it's not the words that they're saying themselves, but it's the quickness that they're saying the words. So if Trump was talking naturally and he had a more natural, slowed cadence between his words, I think it'd be a lot harder to even tell whether it's been sped up or slowed down. But what we're listening for then is a cadence between words where it sounds sped up. So if I'm playing the comparing the original video posted to now the sped up version to determine whether or not it was originally slowed. There's one part this year specifically that tells me that in the, the sped up version, the vocals seem off. Um, and it seems like his slow slurred speech in that first video I played you is accurate. I'm going to play for you this part here. This is the sped up version. This one part uh, where it tells me that this is a sped up video. But we need to understand that other people can be a little different, and that's okay. There are things that we are seeing in this country and in the state that are not okay. So um, what you're hearing there, so so that part there, I want to play that little chunk for you, um, where you hear his, his words running together. Um, so even if this was a normal speaking voice, it sounds sped up. So he his speech was so slowed and slurred before that when you speed it up, it sounds okay in most places, except uh, as far as the cadence goes, except here where he was talking more at his normal speed. You hear the words mashing together, running forget together a little bit more. And even then you still hear a slurred, sweaty Bashir uh, uh, speaking there. So. The DNC will try to claim, the Kentucky uh, Democrat Party may try to claim, or may he hear people claim that this video was slowed down or altered in some way. I just played it for you. Hopefully I made a compelling case and you followed me through to understand that that video, uh, the original one released, is not a slowed down video. He was really speaking that slow, it would appear. Um, obviously, like I said, he slurred, he's sweaty, he's drunk. He's just drunk. Okay. That's it. He's drunk. 
He's drunk in the video. He's drunk during the Zoom call. Now, because I want to explain that as I go forward, that Bashir was actually drunk during the call, which tells us a lot. I mean, it does tell us why he left open liquor stores while closing churches. Um, because, well, he wants to go to the liquor stores, but he doesn't want to go to the churches. Um, which also now I have questions because he left open abortion clinics as well during the same time. So he left open liquor stores so he could get liquor. Now I wonder if Bashir only left open abortion clinics because, well, he needed to get an abortion or something. Um, so what does this mean to Andy Bashir? What's this mean to the campaign? Honestly, I don't know. Voters are kind of funny sometimes on things like this. Um, sometimes things like this really bother them. Other times it doesn't. And it really depends on how it's used and executed and how voters find out about it um, and how it's addressed. One, the average voter first has to know about it. And that becomes a problem because while the thing in and of itself may be bothersome, campaigning on it becomes an issue. Do I expect the media to really cover this? Uh, I don't think too entirely much. Until the media, in their mind, so if this was a video where that was going after Cameron, they would post it, say he appears to be this way and everything else. I do not think the media is going to run too much on this because they're going to try. The, obviously, they naturally can't left, and their first thought is to not believe it. We saw that from a lot of people on the left already, and most of our media are to the left. And so until they can get some sort of confirmation um, from people and individuals that this hasn't been altered in any way, uh, they're going to be leery to report on it. I will say this. Uh, the other thing that leads me to believe it's real, somebody bothered to record it. If he was speaking normally and not drunk, slurred, and whatever during a Zoom call, you don't think he would be, it would be something that somebody would bother to record. However, you have him speaking, somebody bothered to record it because he was drunk. That's the other thing that leads me to believe he was drunk, that someone bothered to record it, uh, of course, in the first place. But will the media report on it? I don't know. And if they don't, the average voter isn't really going to find out about it. So how do you spread the word? Um, because it's a difficult thing to campaign on. I, I'm going to give you an example of something um, what I mean by it's a difficult issue campaign on, and there's a way to do it and a way not to, and that may make it a third rail kind of issue where you don't put any money behind making sure the word gets spread. So during my Senate race, um, for the 20, um, uh, course second district there, um, during my Senate race, my, my opponent, um, wife actually filed for divorce during the primary. Now, being a divorce politician isn't necessarily, of course, disqualifying. Uh, there's a lot of politicians who are, of course, divorced. And, I mean, one could make the argument that if they are a Christian, um, that they made a promise before God to stay with this person, and they broke that promise. So what kind of promises are they willing to break to constituents if this person's willing to make break a promise they made to God? Were they willing to lie to you about? But we as people understand things happen, and a lot of voters are, of course, divorced as well. Now, the divorce itself would itself not necessarily be something to campaign on. Obviously, there's extenuating circumstances like domestic violence or um, if it has something to do with politics, like cheating on somebody with a lobbyist, then that kind of plays to, um, you know, their thought processes. Are they really representing you? Or are they representing lobbyists? If it has something to do with that, for an example, but the divorce in and of itself isn't really the fact they're getting a divorce isn't necessarily something to campaign on, but it should be getting a divorce. I've never been divorced, but I'm married, but I've talked to people who've been divorced and, and it should be the worst moment of your life. I've, like I said, I've never gotten one, 
But there is a point to be made that someone being charged with representing their constituents, especially somebody who's new into the legislature, which this gentleman was, um, they're going through what should be the roughest moment of their life. Their marriage is falling apart. And so the question, a reasonable question that constituents should be allowed to ask is, will they be paying attention to what they need to be doing? And that's a valid question. Now, you don't know to ask that question unless you, of course, know about the divorce. And, of course, then you have to, how do you spread those words? To ask, what is a valid question? And all the pearl clutchers out there, you can clutch at your chest all you want to and think it's distasteful to even bring up that question, but it's valid. Can we trust you to not be distracted while you're going through such a long stretched out, difficult, arduous, horrible, once in a lifetime, hopefully type process. And the same as it would be valid while I was running for treasurer, if you want to ask about me being distracted, while I was running for treasurer, people asked me about what I do with my companies if I won. That's a valid question to ask. Voters want to make sure that their representative is focused. Going through divorce could distract a person. So people know about it, but how do you campaign on it without sounding like you're campaigning on the divorce itself, which would cause issues with divorced people in the back of their minds? So you have the same issue here. You take Bashir's drunk Zoom call. People get drunk. Tons of voters have been drunk before in their life, obviously. And maybe they've done some drunk calls too as well, right? And this call here isn't actually a government call. It appears to be some sort of Democrat uh, uh committee call. I mean, it's still kind of part of his job as far as staying in office goes, but you're probably off business hours. He's essentially at home. Sure, he's technically on capital grounds because he's living in the governor's mansion, but it is his house that he's living in and he's drunk. He's drunk at home. So do voters find it distasteful that someone would be drunk on a, um, you know, kind of after typical work hours on a pseudo work call, or will they really not care and kind of hate you for bringing it up in the first place because they've been drunk before and they think it's a ridiculous thing and, and they hold that against you. And this is the kind of thing that probably works better as a non-official campaign push. If you cut ads about it, Bashir can address it directly, claiming this kind of work, non-work call at night. Uh, he got drunk at home one Friday, got asked to hop on a call at like 930 at night with who he thought were friends. And that was a mistake. I don't think the voters necessarily be too moved or hate them for that. But if it's done as a whisper campaign, the facts get muddled. People love to gossip and it's like a telephone game. And once it's in someone's mind, you can't get it out. It's an infuriating and fascinating thing about politics. People love to whisper. They love to spill the gossip, drink the tea around each other. But once it gets in their minds, if it's never directly addressed, they'll continue to believe it. Once it gets going, details become hazy. All people know is he was drunk on a work call. It's hazy even knowing the facts, whether it was a work call. I mean, we know it. We've heard it. We saw it. It's, it's hazy. We can make an argument. It was a work call. It wasn't. We don't know what time it was. We do know uh, it appears to be on Capitol grounds in the governor's mansion, which is on Capitol grounds, but it's kind of where he lives. So you could say he was at home. The other person say he's on Capitol grounds, and both of you would be right. And while that is you know, these things are all true. There's worse ways and better ways to make it sound. So if the way it's being addressed um, 
if it's if it's quietly addressed, then that could have some legs because Bashir won't be able to speak on it publicly without giving it more credence and getting people to think about it more. So it never gets publicly dispelled. I mean, we've seen this with Cameron. I mean, there's a rumor still that Cameron's wife is McConnell's granddaughter or something. I don't know how that got started, uh, but apparently it isn't true. But yet people still believe it. I literally read a comment on Facebook just the other day where somebody brought it up. So maybe it moves the needle uh, a bit for Cameron as a whisper campaign. If they campaign on it, then uh, they will have to be done very carefully because obviously you're inviting people now publicly defend Bashir and the ad has to hold up to scrutiny and can't use too much hyperbole for that reason because then it opens up opportunities for you to get attacked forever using the ad in the short in the first place. So, well, coming up, Daniel Cameron has some good news and a new poll coming out. We'll go over that after this short break. The Cameron campaign has finally gotten some good news. And I say finally, at least in polling. As of recently, his polling has been pretty, uh, not super great. And the last poll two, three weeks ago or so that was publicly released had him down in the 30s um, as far as polling goes. Now, he just released a poll out of his campaign internal poll that has him at 47% to Bashir's 49.49%. Only two points difference. That's basically margin of error. And the methodology and polling company was good enough that uh, 538 has added it to its list of polls uh, for the campaign. Now, the, there's a few reasons for the difference. One would be methodology. The poll that was released two weeks ago was just polling registered voters. This poll was registering likely voters. And there's a big difference because obviously likely voters will be paying greater attention. Additionally, as well, over the last month or so is when Cameron has been putting in the work. We've gone over this a few times on the podcast that the way these people like Cameron, like others, the way they campaign is by uh, really blasting it out the last month. Um, they don't do as much leading up to it. And so it makes sense that Cameron would start to gain back some of the ground. Additionally, as well as undecideds start to become decided. Uh, that's going to fall more heavily in Cameron's favor. Why? Well, Bashir obviously has been the governor. He's been the governor for quite some time. Uh, not that many people are completely unaware um, that Bashir exists. They know what his policies are. They know what he's done. And so if they're undecided still on whether or not to vote for him, I don't know what they're waiting for from Cameron exactly, but... Um, you know, they, that would make sense that they would more so fall into Cameron's direction. Uh, this poll also as well, uh, showed that, uh, the renewed effort of tying, uh, Bashir to Biden, Bashir's endorsement of Biden is having an effect on the voters. Now this poll can do one of a few things for Cameron. One thing it's doing for him because it's uh, a greatly different chosen within margin of error. I think this is the closest he's been to Bashir since the very, very beginning of the primary, which I think showed him even with him. Ever since then, all the polls have showed him, you know, between five to 10 points down. Of course, this last poll showing him uh, a pretty significant pointage down above double uh, or, or um, in the double digits there down. And so obviously having this kind of thing gives him some momentum and helps him build going into the uh, final bit of this campaign. Now, there is uh, one thing, though, that could work against him. Rewind uh, with me, if you will, back to 2016. 
where Trump beats Clinton rather unexpectedly. And one of the things that worked to Trump's favor is that the assumption that Clinton was going to win led to a lot of her voters that weren't super excited by Clinton to not even turn out to vote. And so by having a poll that shows Cameron close, it can help energize in these last several weeks the Bashir campaign and the Bashir voters in order to give them a reason to remind people, hey, you got to turn out to vote for uh, Bashir. So that could buy back because if it if the last poll shows, oh, Bashir's up by 15 points, you know, if it's rainy that day or something like that, I'm not going to turn out while Cameron voters will still turn out. So showing something like that it could work against him in that way. But obviously the positive part for him is that he's having more positive momentum going into it. I mean, to be honest, uh, before that poll, a lot of people just assumed Bashir is definitely going to win. Um, obviously, you had the polling, you had the general feeling on the ground, a lot of other things. But with the new release and, and some of the debates and other issues going on, perhaps um, Cameron can start to uh, uh, earn it back a little bit, build a momentum, and that might carry him through to the end of the election. I don't know. I do know um, that he certainly is going, Cameron, hopefully off this poll, is able to get some infusion of cash into the campaign because clearly Bashir has been uh, raising and spending a lot more money, the Bashir campaign and tools, than the Cameron campaign has been this entire uh, time. Now, there isn't another interesting thing I want to point out about how uh, you know, search engines, social media, those kinds of things can, can affect the outcome of these things. So remember, I was telling you about a poll they did two weeks ago that showed Cameron down to like 35% or something, you know, being beat double digits by Andy Bashir. And that was a poll of just voters. Well, this poll of likely voters shows him much better off. Well, as I was, um, you know, setting up for this episode, I, I was looking for the poll. And so I Googled, you know, Daniel Cameron, uh, newest governor poll, Kentucky. What's funny is I couldn't find the initial results and initial news stories didn't talk about this poll at all. Instead, it was talking about the poll from several weeks ago, showing that uh, Cameron was behind uh, Bashir by double digits. And what's funny is about showing that too, as well as that poll was the Everybody agreed that was a pretty poorly done poll because there was no way we know that Cameron's getting 33% or 35% or anything in the 30s. Cameron is getting at least in the 40s. I'm telling you right now, he's definitely getting in the 40s. That's not even a risky bet to take. He's definitely doing it. He's getting in the 40s. And so clearly a poll showing him at that rate doesn't make much sense. And also too, it was showing uh, quite a lot of undecided and other things. And that was because that poll was polling just voters, registered voters, not likely voters. Who's going to show up? Because remember, as many people that showed up to vote and voted for Donald Trump in 2020, in the presidential election 2020, the amount of people that showed up just to vote for Donald Trump is about the same amount of people total that showed up in 2019 for the governor's election. People don't typically show up to vote a whole lot with Cameron. So Cameron's starting to get momentum. Maybe he's bringing some money. What would be good for him right now too, as well, to help carry this through would be to go ahead and have that uh, Trump endorsement uh, being more publicly known. Because one of the things the poll pointed out was how much more likely people would be to vote for him if Trump endorsed him. Well, Trump has already endorsed him. So definitely going back and making sure that people know about that and getting Trump out to do some events with Cameron could certainly point him in the right direction.
But like I said, the, the fact that search, search engines, when I was looking for this information, was pointing me instead to the old poll, uh, showing him massively behind, I, it just points to somewhat what goes on and the effect um, this, this happens. So as it's getting closer and closer, the undecideds are going to become decided. They're, they, I think, are going to fall more to Cameron than Bashir. However, Bashir has been holding in almost every single poll in the very high 40s, 48, 49%. There's only been, I think, one poll where Bashir has gotten over 50% and he's at 51%. So what's interesting is despite polls showing Cameron at 35% or despite polls showing him five, six, most of them have showed him five or six points down, Bashir hasn't really shown, you know, if you're five or six points down, so if you're pulling at 45%, you'd expect Bashir to be at 55%, but instead he was down around uh, 49. And so that certainly um, points to an issue for Bashir because it wouldn't appear that over the length of time, over the polling time, Bashir hasn't really been gaining in any polls that I've been seeing support. He's been holding steady at that 48 to 49-ish kind of percentage point. Um, like I said, he had one anomaly where he went over 51. I think that should be a point of worrisome, of course, for the Bashir campaign. It probably is, is the fact that he's been stagnant. They've spent tens of millions of dollars so far, and yet Bashir seems stagnant. So that really gives Cameron the opportunity to follow through on this wave of momentum to carry it onwards. It'll be interesting to see tonight. This is obviously October 23rd. Tonight on KET, there will be a debate, uh, another debate. So they had, I went over a big, their first televised debate. They had a debate, uh, what, on Friday, I think. Um, and then they have another debate tonight on KET. Definitely something to check out and see what happens and what's going through. Well, y'all, that's all we have time for today for you listening to the video format. I do have to apologize that today's episode got out so late. Um, it is caused by my internet provider. We had an internet outage here, and I was unable in my studio to be able to record, upload, and edit my podcast as I would have liked to. I don't want to name any names about whose fault it is, but it's Spectrum. Spectrum is my internet provider, and that's who failed me today. And I apologize. Tomorrow's episode, I'll make sure it gets out a little more prompter. Um, sorry, this episode's coming later in the day, but I hope that doesn't deter anybody from listening to it. And as I said, if you're listening to this in the video format, Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, head on over to the podcast only format to hear the last story. For those of you listening to the podcast, we're going to be talking about Louisville clearly getting less safe and the citizens are feeling it. We'll go over the stat that's pointing us in that direction after this short break. So many a times people are going to tell you that the uh, cities, the, the, the crime is down and getting safer. In fact, in the debate we covered last week, Bashir claimed that the violent crime stats and other stats are getting lower. And they are. There are, of course, carjackings and theft is skyrocketing. But some of those violent crimes in the stats are getting lower. But Cameron pointed out something very important in that same debate. He said that um, you don't feel safer though. And you don't feel safer because they're not safer, which goes into crime statistics. The problem with crime statistics is it deals with a few things. One, of course, you have to have these crimes being reported. As more and more crimes go reported, but then unpunished or unsolved, the general thought process is to not even bother to report it. I'll give you an example. I had a situation occur 
where a ex-employee of mine that was fired uh, broke into one of my businesses, stole a company vehicle and took off with it for several days. Uh, we reported it to the police. Um, they finally found it. Of course, I had to pay 500 bucks to get it out of impound, which you think is kind of ridiculous. But anyways, I'd pay 500 bucks to get my car back, bring it back. Um, and then they came to me saying, look, do you have a video of him stealing the car? Um, we need that or, or they're not going to prosecute. Do you have a video of him breaking in? Do you have any video of him accessing it? Because, um, they're not going to prosecute him because we don't have any proof. He actually took it. We just have you saying that he took it. And then of course he could say you gave it to him to which I said, well, I've texted him and he responded. Um, and it just seemed like they really weren't interested in prosecuting it. Another example, uh, my, um, car. Once I was, I was at a golf course and my back windshield of my car got broken into my wife's purse stolen. Uh, it even had her firearm in it and we filed the report. We were even able to track her car to usage because though we turned them off, they still try to use them. And we were able to discover the person as they stupidly use their footlocker rewards card, uh, in, in, um, uh, Indiana or Louisville or something like that. And, um, they actually use their footlockers reward with the transaction. And so we were able to give them the name of the person. We turned that into the police. That person lived in, uh, new Albany, I believe, Indiana across the border there, Evansville or something like that. And the officers said, well, they're across the river. We can't do anything about it. So I tell you that those two stories to tell you this uh, a few years ago, my business was broken into and about five or $6,000 worth of stock was stolen. And I didn't even bother reporting it to the police. Why would I? I had no video out in the warehouse where it was broken into and stolen from. And quite frankly, I knew they weren't going to come out and fingerprint or anything else or ask questions or investigate. Um, so I didn't bother to even report it. Well, obviously that would then be now a theft that went on that now has gone unreported. And I can tell you this much, if something was stolen from me um, and I didn't have to uh, call insurance about it, and if I didn't have it on camera, I don't know if I would report it. Now, a response to this, of course, is I've set up cameras in all of my businesses and houses and everything else, having had that interaction with the police where they just don't care to investigate or to arrest, unless, of course, you have video evidence of them stealing it, which makes you wonder how we ever solved a crime before video ever existed. But anyways, how many times does that have to happen before people just stop reporting it? As I said, I don't have it on video. I guess it's not worth reporting. It's only a couple hundred bucks and well, you know, the cost of filing and going through the hectic work ain't worth it. Right. And then also as well, the police coming out, looking at situations and saying, ah, we're not going to fill out a report for this. Uh, let's just move it along. Uh, deciding not to even bother to charge a person because they know that they're liberal prosecutors. We went over a story last week of this happening in Lexington. Massive story about uh, uh, car chases, arrests, everything else. Nothing happened to the person. And uh, they got some probation. And so police just, eh, we'll talk to the person if we can work it out, what have you. We're not going to file a report because we know nothing's going to happen. So those types of things will affect reporting. Additionally as well, of course, how you report them affects it as well. If you're not doing as much patrolling, that can affect it. And so it can appear like crime or things are getting lower, even though our streets and facilities are getting less safe. Well, there's this recent article in the Wall Street Journal, and it's studied, it's talking about a study of 52 cities regarding downtown foot traffic. 
And in this study, they found Louisville was the largest decrease of downtown foot traffic in the country out of these 52 cities that they studied. By almost 50%, it was down. That's crazy. And a big part of the reason why is a fewfold. One, of course, you had the riots and situation going on with the the Black Lives Matter protesters, several other protesters that ended up in businesses being destroyed, knocked down. And so a lot of people just left. Businesses are just leaving these areas because of the rampant crime, shoplifting, theft, those kinds of things. These are nonviolent crimes that are leading to stores leaving, which decreases foot traffic. <clears throat> but the other thing is, is it's just dangerous. I was up in Louisville uh, just the other week. We were going to uh, a theater to see a magic show. Um, you know, a little secret about me and my family. Uh, we enjoy magic shows, We've seen a good number of them. We can no longer do the tourist trap magic shows because we know how all the tricks are done and we've seen them over and over again. So we're interested in seeing um, some different tricks. So we watch some traveling big name magicians when they come to town. And there's one up in Louisville. And we had to park our car in the street and then walk maybe 300 yards. And, you know, we, we get out and of course there's, you know, a few panhandlers, homeless people on the street, left and right. Um, one walks past us, immediately begins a mutter to himself off to the right-hand corner, talking to himself. And I generally felt unsafe, but because the place we were going to, of course, had metal detectors and didn't allow guns inside them. I didn't carry a gun with me for even that short walk. I was unable to uh, because of the security they had there. And I've never felt more uncomfortable in my life in a city than in that moment. I literally had mumbling people over here. It's it's gray, it's dark, it's dirty, uh, it's miscolored. I'm literally off of 4th Street, and we walked down. We had to walk maybe 200, 300 yards, and it was just awful. And what's crazy is, is we walked down those 100 yards, we turned the corner, and there is legitimately probably 20 or 30 police officers uh, out in front. They're dealing with some sort of situation. No clue what about the time we showed up, they dissipated. But there's a lot of officers there uh, dealing with some sort of problem. And so after the show came out, I tried to actually research what had happened uh, uh, with those police officers there. I couldn't find anything online. If this happened in Lexington, if that amount of officers happened in Lexington or your town or any other town but Louisville in this state, it would be on the news. 50 it was it was legitimately like 30 or so uh, cruisers had responded to something. And that would that would be a news story, newscast would be out there, everything else. Didn't happen. All those police officers, nothing, not a story, not a mention of it, nothing. So you got a town that I immediately feel unsafe in just walking in for two, 300 yards because we got muttering uh, homeless and everything else and violent offenders um, walking the streets because they, they don't prosecute. We know that. Uh, you've got police responses of 30 or 40 cruisers that doesn't even make it on the news because it's such a normal thing. You got businesses being shut down. You got riots happening. No wonder it's getting less safe. Now, this is a big problem, of course, for Kentucky as a whole. Louisville is a major economic driver. It's a big city. It's one of the largest cities, of course, in the U.S. And so it being a major economic driver means it can bring a, a lot of things to Kentucky. For example, if we want a pro sports team, that's where it's going to have to go. If we want to bring in those kinds of things, that is most likely where it will have 
uh, to happen at tourism dollars, big shows, big things like that. That is where it's going to have to go. But if the city becomes less and less safe and a harder place to do business, well, that hurts Kentucky as a whole. We don't have a shot at those teams anymore. Instead, we just have this big urban center that's become a liberal wasteland. No longer does it become an economic driver for the state, but rather become an economic burden for the rest of the state. That becomes a big problem. It's got this, of course, we talked about its failing school system, and it's just a complete mess of a city, which is a shame. I remember going to Louisville uh, just probably five, six, seven years ago and enjoying my time being downtown, going to the uh, uh, Louisville Slugger uh, factory slash museum or, or what have you there, uh, enjoying uh, the downtown. At one point in my life, I lived in Louisville for uh, a few months. Well, I lived in Louisville uh, in the Highlands for a few months, and then I lived out in J-Town for like a year. Um, and so I, I used to work in Louisville. So I remember enjoying that town quite a bit, going to, of course, the comedy place up there. And it is just absolute wasteland. I avoided it at all costs. And it's a shame that these kinds of things happen, but it just goes to show you, follow the stats you want, but people know when they feel unsafe, they won't show up. That's why foot traffic is down. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Kubrider Show. I thank you all so, so much for joining me. Hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll be back here tomorrow, hopefully at a more prompt time, uh, you know, around one o'clock and not this late in the day, but you know, you do what you can. Well, you all have a great rest of your day. We'll see you soon.